Let's turn again to the Scriptures, to Isaiah chapter 9. As we've been going through, I, the prophet Isaiah, uh, we have here stopped, since it's an important text, with the text that we had as well in chapter 7 regarding the birth of Jesus Christ and His government in this world and in all creation. And so we've stopped here in Isaiah chapter 9 to talk about and hear more from the Scriptures, Jesus as the Son of God. And this evening we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Our gracious Father, once again we come to You pleading that You would not remove Your Word from us as You did under the time of the prophet Amos. We pray that You would give us Your Word even this evening and give us eyes to see Jesus, ears to hear Him. And Father, speak to us by Your Holy Spirit as You work in our hearts, our minds, our wills, even our affections. That You would turn our hearts to Christ Your Son to love Him To not love those things that were taught falsely in the church. To not love those things that we are heard about and learned perhaps growing up and in the world. But that we would love Jesus for who He says He is. And even for that purpose for which He came. To save many from their sins. Father, further we pray that You would speak through Your servant, You would humble him, and You would grant to him the unction of Your Holy Spirit, that He would have the, uh, the tongue of a ready writer. As well, Father, that You would give us all ears to hear, again, Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Again, these are God's words, so let's give our full attention to them. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of har- and harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire." For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment 
and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those are God's words. This evening, we'll be looking at Christ the Son, and again, in His incarnation. And that is His taking on human flesh. And particularly, why He took on human flesh, at least in part. There's many reasons why He took on human flesh, of course, uh, for our salvation is uh, first and foremost, and to glorify God and Himself. And now we have already done much of this before recently in looking at the Son, and so we're going to look in more detail the purpose of His coming this evening. Because so many people in the church, and because of this, so many people in the world have this idea that Jesus was born on December 25th, right? A lot of people have that idea, and yet it's utterly false. Which, we do not know the dates in which Jesus was born. We're not told in the Scripture because God doesn't want us to know the day He was born. That's not important to us. It's not revealed to us. And some of you have sang the so-called Christmas carols, riddled with airs and myths, of which God's Word debunks them. Some of them filled with outright heresies, denying the human nature of Jesus Christ. Some of them deny the divinity or divine nature of Jesus Christ, of which we've already learned. And then there's the preaching. This time of year focused on Jesus uh, often. Uh, some do, you know, there's some, maybe in the more Reformed tradition, the more Reformed churches, they do a better job. Um, but in the vast majority of churches, uh, preaching and focusing on Jesus as a baby. As a baby. And as we've been hearing in Isaiah 7 especially, but also here, born of a virgin. Emmanuel, God with us, right? And yet the common way to teach on the Incarnation is to focus all the attention on Jesus as a baby. As this... Uh, Cute, cuddly baby. And if you look at the Gospels, we might ask the question, where's the focus? Where's God want us to focus? When we think of Jesus and the Incarnation and His whole ministry, His whole life on the earth, His, His coming to the earth, what is the focus? Even in uh, Mark's Gospel, Mark's Gospel is the goal immediately to get to what? The resurrection. His death and resurrection. John's Gospel, chapter 12 to the end, is all about the last week of his life to his death on the cross and his resurrection. The Gospels are focused on more so his public ministry and especially his death and resurrection. At the beginning, there's often the the birth and even uh, how he grew up as a youth, uh, and yet quickly getting to His public ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and session is reigning as King. Because now, today, Christ is reigning as King over everybody, over everything. And so the focus on His being a baby is 
for the purpose of showing forth to all peoples that He is the God-man born of the Virgin, having been conceived in the Virgin Mary by the Holy Ghost, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Showing that He was born without sin. And that's so important so that we can be saved from our sins. And so there's a focus on His name in the Gospels at times, in the beginning of those Gospels. And here as well in chapter 7, here in chapter 9, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, right? We learn we learn that at the beginning of the Gospels. Jesus, as we already have it uh, foreshadowed with Joshua, uh, the same word essentially uh, meaning Savior. And so the church sadly has often, not always, has its focus often in the wrong place. The church is often exalting only one small time of the year as a baby, a whole month of December, one-twelfth of the whole year, focused on Jesus as baby. When that's not what we're shown to focus on, even though it is important. The church should be exalting, exalting, in the eternally begotten Son of the Father, taking on human flesh in order that He might save His people from their sins. And that's why He was born, friends. And Jesus, when He was born, after taking on human flesh in the womb, or when He was conceived, He took on human flesh. He was not born as a a totally new being or person, He is eternal. An eternal person, the second person of the triune God. And the second person of the triune God, eternal. He is eternally, we heard last Lord's Day, that's what uh, last Lord's Day was all about. He is eternally generated of the Father. Begotten, as the Nicene Creed says, not made. As we heard. And so friends, the church ought not to celebrate Christmas for a whole host of reasons. And we could go into a whole host of reasons, as we did last year. It's based on a lot of myths, paganism, it's filled with heresy, it's originating and a lot of things in the church, and the Antichrist, the Pope of Rome. It is idolatrous above all, though it is not biblical. It is not commanded to be celebrated. And God says what we are to celebrate. And what did we learn last year at this time? We learned that we are to celebrate what? The Lord's Day. The Lord's Day where we celebrate not only the birth of Christ. We celebrate the birth, the life, the death, resurrection, ascension, His session, His reigning as King right now every Lord's Day. And so it's not manipulated by a church authority but Christ teaches us that we worship the worship Him and we exalt in Him as the Gospels proclaim throughout the whole year. And not at one time. And so we don't follow a church calendar. And by necessity, following the church calendar or only celebrating those uh, different aspects of Christ's life uh, once a year, it so diminishes those truths and aspects of the Gospel. But the Lord has given us the Gospel to celebrate every day and all the year, and especially on every Lord's Day. And we rejoice 
today, as we celebrate as well in July and February, and the birth of Jesus Christ, because by His birth, He became man, so as to save us from our sins. And so when we come to worship on the Lord's Day, we rejoice and give, give glory to the Lord in Christ for saving us by the God-man Jesus Christ. And not one time of Christ being on this earth is exalted over another. All that we have in Christ and who He is is of infinite value. And then the church holds all that back. and Sadly, not all the church, but a lot of the church, celebrates parts of Jesus' gospel-saving life throughout the year. And so, there will be a time of the year that the birth of Christ is celebrated. There will be a time when the resurrection and the death and resurrection are celebrated. When is the public ministry celebrated? When is His exalted as King celebrated? And His coming again celebrated? But Christ cannot be divided. You look at our passage, friends, verse 6 in Isaiah 9. It speaks of the birth of Christ. Right? And immediately turns our attention to His government. Immediately. His rule as King. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Christ took on flesh, the God-man to rule and reign over all, sovereignly ruling over all for our sakes. Ephesians 1, we've learned, if we were to consider all the prophecies of Jesus Christ. They're all necessarily, they require Him to be born. They require Him to take on human flesh and to be God with us. And this is a revelation of that, the prophecy of that in in chapter 7 and here in chapter 9. They're all of necessity because this was the Lord's eternal plan. From all eternity, the Lord decreed and the great covenant He made that He would send His Son to earth to save us, His elect, from their sins. All those promises that we read throughout the Scriptures require Jesus to be perfect, righteous, without sin. And let's look at some of those passages. We're just looking at uh, this evening again. Why was Jesus born? Consider first Malachi chapter 3. And the prophecy and the promise of the Lord sending John the Baptist as a forerunner of Jesus. And yet it says in that passage, we're going to read it, Jesus would appear. How would He who is God, God is a Spirit, right children? What is God? God is a Spirit. And we could go on in the catechism question. But God is a Spirit. How would He appear if He's a Spirit? And that's what I remember. When we were our, our kids were younger, they, we would talk about God, and uh, some of them, and even all the kids always ask this, where is He? can't see Him. That's a great question. can't see Him. Because God's a Spirit. And so how is it that God, who is a Spirit, shall appear? 
He must take on human flesh. Malachi 3 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, talking about John the Baptist, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So God who is spirit to save us from our sins must appear. And who shall stand when he appears? While he is upon the earth between, in the meaning there, between the timing of his conception and his ascension. Who shall stand in his kingdom? Because as we're even learning in Isaiah, there will be many who will reject him. Many covenant people, even today in the church, many covenant people who will reject Jesus, Emmanuel, like many of the Jews did. Like many in the church do today, and they reject the gospel. And yet, who is he but the one who cleanses? Who is Jesus? He's the one who cleanses, refines like fire. How are people refined? Uh, we have a, a verse in Jeremiah 23, very clear. It says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? His word refines as the fire. And so here the the prophecy in Malachi 3 is a promise of the coming of Christ who would be born in order to proclaim the truth, His Word, to be the prophet. Why was He born? To be a prophet. To be a prophet, to speak to us, cleansing, refining us. Deuteronomy 18, the promise of the great prophet to come, the forever prophet, and it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, like unto God, right? like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. And will, notice that, like unto thee, like unto you. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And so he's going to raise up a prophet. That's what Malachi is talking about in chapter 3. And he goes on in Malachi 3, as we've read already, he will purify the sons of Levi through what? Preaching. Through the Word. Through his being the prophet who speaks from on high. Jesus, the great prophet, revealing his will by his Word and his Spirit. Right, kids? How does he reveal himself as prophet? Through the Word and Spirit. And He would cleanse them. He would sanctify them. How, do, how are we sanctified today? When we're talking about marriage and the husband uh, to the wife, right? That Ephesians 5, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. He speaks to us now as prophet, setting us all apart for His service. He will purge us of our sins, Christians, as gold, 
gold and silver. Matthew chapter 3, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And refiner's fire. Even the Word. 1 Peter 1, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season it need, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. And whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And so the Lord Jesus sanctifying His people with the Word that they might serve Him with an offering of righteousness. And so a pure life in godliness. Jesus was born. Jesus took on human flesh to purify His people by the Word. That He might be, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Jesus, our great prophet. But Jesus also took on flesh. And is God with us as a priest. He was born. He took on human flesh to be the great high priest. Zechariah chapter 6 says of the branch, which is Jesus, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. He's going to destroy his temple and raise it in three days. Right as he says in the Gospels, to establish the temple of God, even to establish His Gospel church. He's going to do that. He was born to do that as our priest. How as a priest, as a priest, friends, by the offering of Himself a sacrifice. But to serve as our great high priest, friends, Jesus took on human flesh. He was born to be one with us. I know that's important to His being sacrificed for us. Hebrews chapter 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He took on human flesh to be a priest for us. He took on human flesh to be tempted as we are, yet remain righteous without sin. We heard the question in catechism class this morning that we didn't answer because it was at the end of time. Why or how is the covenant of works fulfilled by the covenant of grace? It's because Christ fulfills it. He fulfills the covenant of works. He fulfills all obedience, all righteousness. And so He's offered a final sacrifice on the cross as a priest. Hebrews 2, 
says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And notice in all these verses, there are definite implications if he's not born. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He has to be made like us to save us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Well, he is not a merciful and high pri- faithful high priest unless he took on human flesh. How is he going to make reconciliation for us as people with God? How is there peace with God? It's not going to come unless he takes on human flesh. There's no gospel, there's no salvation without Christ taking on human flesh. And He, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, the eternally generated Son, took on flesh. He is the God-man to save all who come to Him by faith. He did that. He saves those who do so by taking on human flesh. Wherefore, He is able to save them to the uttermost, they that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And so not only was He born to be tempted as we are, feeling of our infirmities, uh, to be a merciful and faithful high priest, to make reconciliation for the sins of His people, to, to, to offer that sacrifice perfectly, so that not only the righteousness is fulfilled in the covenant of works, but the condemnation and judgment is fulfilled because we sinned against God. And so He saves us to the uttermost. And now He lives. Praise God. He lives to pray for us and intercede for us and be our mediator for us. For He offered the final sacrifice for sins in His cursed death on the tree in His body. In His body, He had to take on human flesh. Hebrews chapter 9 Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for for them. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ took on human flesh to be our great high priest in order to come again. Praise God for that. He's our great high priest to save us from our sins. And He shall be a priest upon His throne. That would go back to uh, the passage we read in Zechariah. It said, He shall be, He shall sit and rule upon His throne, and He shall be a priest upon His throne. He's a priest, king, a mediator, king. First, he is the eternal king who reigns in his eternal kingdom, as we're learning in Matthew's gospel. He's the eternal king who reigns in his eternal kingdom over all. And we're learning that in the Psalter, right? As we're going through the Psalter, uh, psalm by psalm, we're learning that as well. He's teaching us that he is the eternal king of His eternal kingdom, and He reigns on an eternal throne. And He's teaching us how to live. He does that as our great High Priest who is King. He's King. He was born 
As we read in verse 6, He's born to rule. There's a purpose for His taking on human flesh. It was to rule over all. And that's where we, we started in Isaiah 9.6. Right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder. Praise God for that. The prophecy about Christ in Micah 2. Micah 2. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. The promise here is something that only the king can do. Only the king can do. He's going to bring all of us, all of God's people, of the remnant, even of the Jews together, but all of God's people who are by faith, and our father Abraham, right? All those by faith with them, John 11. And this spake he not of himself, Caiaphas. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together and one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Using that language that is similar to Micah 2 and gathering us together. Even here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that we already looked at. Gathering. All the sheep gathered under one great shepherd, Jews and Gentiles united to Christ by faith. Jesus, the captain of the Lord's host, as King of kings, would bring them together in union with Him. And how, are, how you ask it in the first century, when there's such a great divide between Jew and Gentile, as we read in Ephesians and as Paul addresses there and brings, Lord willing, hopefully that he did, brings that unity by God's grace to them. And today when there are so many Jews who deny even Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that passage that Jesus is the Christ, for they remove it from their Bibles or they don't even speak about it at all, how, we think, is it possible that a great multitude of the Jews be saved, which he's talking about there in Micah 2? How are a great many of the Jews going to be saved in Romans 11 that we've looked at before? gives us the answer. We ask as well, how is it that all the nations, as is promised there in Micah and the Psalms and other places, how is it that all nations will come unto Christ? Christ must take on human flesh, friends. And be given all authority over all things for the sake of the church. And bring, He has the authority and the power, as we're learning in Matthew's Gospel, He has the power and authority to bring them all in. Don't doubt You might say, well, that's not possible that He could save all the nations. He could bring all the nations unto Himself. As you heard this morning, fear not, or be afraid not. Only believe. Only believe what He says. He has to take on human flesh. He has to be given all authority over all things for the sake of His church to be the mediatorial king, priest, king. And He now sovereignly reigns and rules for the sake of His church overall. Now, because what? He took on human flesh. And so He now rules. He's bringing in from all creation those who are of His elect. 
And He sovereignly, He will sovereignly bring in the nations at the perfect time by His almighty power over all things. And so, friends, He had to be born. He had to take on human flesh in order to be sacrificed as the great high priest so that He could be blessed to receive all things from uh, His Father to be the King of kings and to be the mediatorial king. That's our priest king. He surely is the mighty God. And as we learn, the everlasting Father. But now we might ask further, as Jesus took on flesh in order to be the mediator king, for what other purposes? And there's a myriad of purposes. But for what other purposes? Not only to rescue us and save us, but to bring peace. To bring peace. We see here even verse 6. It says... The Prince of Peace, right? He's the Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth for even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. As King... And as our mediator king, even as our prophet, priest, and king, he brings peace. And you consider how this is, Isaiah 33, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us, and he'll reconcile us to God, even in dying for our sins. His kingdom... He gives, excuse me, he gives his government, his law, for the sake of the peace of his people. Even in the church to deliver from Satan in church discipline, he gives us the law. First Corinthians 5, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Jesus. And we remember when we get to 2 Corinthians that that man that is disciplined and excommunicated is received by Jesus Christ. He repented. His kingdom he establishes with judgment and justice as our mediatorial king. Acts chapter 5 teaches us him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And again, for this to happen, as we've learned, He had to take on human flesh. He's the God-man. And those who come to the King and bow before Him, He rewards with those things that only a king can grant. Revelation 2, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days, but thou be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. Who can give a crown but a king? The owner of all kingdoms and crowns. It's the king of kings. And in his taking on flesh, why did he reign as king? For he must reign till he hath put all things under his feet. For peace and justice. 
This is for our sakes. Because He will bring peace not only in reconciling you to God through His own death, the death of His Son, right? It says, By which He had to be the God-man, but so too only as He is King, He is completely sovereignly ruling to bring us all the way to glory. He is sovereignly ruling today as our great high priest king to bring us all the way home to glory. And what a great comfort we have then in our priest king, Jesus Christ, who brings us peace and comfort as He defends us from all His and our enemies and He brings about our good. Romans 8, He brings about our good. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And you ask yourself, well, how can Paul say then a few verses later, uh, the, the whole ending of chapter 8, Romans 8, how can Paul say this? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is the Apostle Paul so convinced of that truth? Because Christ sits on the throne and reigns overall. And how is that possible but that He took on human flesh for our sakes? Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Friends, there are a lot of lies about Jesus. The truth He reveals as prophet, as a prophet in His Word. He does that to cleanse us of all those lies. Many of the churches would sadly have you believe that Jesus, when He was born, and we beheld Him, that He was, He is, this cute, cuddly baby who didn't cry at all. And of course, that couldn't be further from the truth. The purpose of God sending His Son, His only begotten Son of the Father, not made. The purpose of Jesus was not merely to be a baby, but to grow up. It wasn't to be cute and beautiful in the outward sense. Right? Isaiah 53, For he shall grow up before me as a tender plant and as a root out of dry, a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace 
was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the womb of the Virgin Mary and born, taking on human flesh to save us from our sins. And bring us, deliver us unto glory forever to Him. To be with Him and commune with Him forever and ever. He did this as our prophet. He does this as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Both in His state of humiliation, right kids? And exaltation. Praise the Lord. We don't have the cute, uh, cuddly baby Jesus as our Savior. We have one who being in the form of God, Philippians 2, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, as king, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and of, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why was Jesus born? To the glory of God. That's why. And He's exalted. Psalm 110, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in that day, in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. It is a great blessing, that last verse that was just read. I'll read it again. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Because it means that Christ will accomplish all that was promised in that psalm. He will be and He is and He's going to do that and He is uh, he, he is doing that right now to accomplish our salvation. He'll lift up, He'll accomplish, and He'll lift up the head drinking from the brook because it's all completed. Accomplished. That's the verse. He'll accomplish all that. He took on human flesh to do. For even unto eternity. And so, friends, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to bring Him down to a mere baby, just a mere baby, is a heresy. He is infinitely greater and more. And infinitely more wondrous and amazing. For He is the God-man. God and man in two two distinct natures, one person forever. And as the eternally begotten of the Father, He suffered and He died in His human nature for our sakes, that we might in Him have all things. This salvation from your sins is offered to you freely today to receive it. As we heard this morning, come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. His promise to you is when you come to Him, He will receive you. He never casts any out who come to Him. 
He receives the worst of sinners. The outcasts and the most wicked who come to Him. So come to Him. Believe on Him. And you'll receive the great promises, the delight and joy and blessings forevermore. Children, listen. Come to Jesus and He will receive you. But perhaps most especially you'll receive peace with God. And you'll receive Him as the Prince of Peace. For Christ is on the throne and He remains there ruling over all creation for the sake of His people. And so what are you to do? You are to come unto Him for salvation. Christian, that means you too. You are to come unto Him every day. Every day you are to come unto Him and plead with Him for mercy and for His grace. Come unto Him. Because He's ruling for your sakes even now as our Mediator King. And so all are made, uh, uh, those enemies are made to bow and uh, become under His footstool. And so come unto Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that throughout the Scriptures we learn so much about who You are. And we love You. We certainly love Your works, but we love You as our prophet, priest, and king, both in Christ and Your state of humiliation and exaltation, even now as You're reigning on high over all. What a great comfort it is to know that Christ reigns sovereign over all things, all peoples, all nations, all kings and rulers and presidents and governments. And Father, we ask that You would turn our hearts to You, that we would see how glorious the very thought that God, who is Spirit, would take on human flesh and be the God-man, our Savior, our prophet who speaks, our priest who sacrificed himself for us and died and was condemned for us, and our King to bring us peace with Him. And so, Father, grant us faith and repentance unto life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.